I'm Jasmine Call, and I'm an engaged woman in landscape architecture at San Francisco Public Works. I remember an occasion when I was dealing with a contractor in the field, and I had rejected their work, you know, for poor quality and just it was done very poorly and not per contract documents or specs. And I remember he was so angry to hear this rejection coming from, you know, verbal, because it was I was in the field and I was talking to him and he was saying, this is this work has to be rejected for this, this, this reason. And there was an engineer standing next to me, construction manager. If it weren't for him, my colleague who was standing next to me, I think I felt like my personal bubble space was being invaded by his aggression towards me. So that's one instance where I felt like if I was a male rejecting this work rightfully, would I have been treated the same way? Maybe not. I am a landscape architect and I design public spaces that Public Works does, meaning streetscapes, libraries, parks and playgrounds. I've been with Public Works for uh, 23 years, and that is including one year collectively, collective time of a student internship that I had when I was in grad school. It's a very interesting line of work for me because I can help to realize a vision that everybody, you know, sort of give input into, like, this is what we want to see in this community. This public plaza that acts as a town hall, a gathering space. We lack a space like this. We want a safe space. We want well-lit spaces. You know, those kind of things. We hear about it and we can give birth as a designer to these spaces that become impactful in the community. The communities here are pretty involved, you know, very vocal. San Franciscans are very vocal and very involved in their neighborhoods. And their expectations are high. You know, you can't just fit in a cookie cutter playground and say, we're done, you know. And so the work that we've done, I think, really fit into the context of each neighborhood and each site and no two playgrounds are alike. And so I think people find variety in the spaces that we do have, the public spaces that we have. A one playground may be bright colors and have more natural elements or nature exploration areas like a space near, you know, Diamond Heights, near Glen Canyon, you know, those spaces. But you might have a space near a school that's maybe less so, but maybe the colors are more bright, you know, to attract younger children. So it's really more context-based design is what we've done, I believe, in the city and meeting the needs of these individual communities rather than just a generic sort of standard design that fits every, you know, situation. And that's how I really look at design, too, is really needs to be contextually and user-based, you know, really human-focused design is what I think we strive to do. I grew up in a family, you know, 
without any landscape architects, nor did I know any landscape architecture. So when I was applying to college many moons ago, I was just browsing through in the old days, you know, the class catalogs, UC Berkeley (laughs) class catalog, and looking at different classes and majors. And I just saw this field called landscape architecture. And I read the description and I looked at the classes. It's interesting, sort of like the left and the right brain, you know, kind of visual. And at the same time, it's sort of tangible and you're building something. And so I've always been interested in nature and plant materials and grew up in, you know, an environment within my family where my mother gardened. She was, you know, a gardener. She loved gardening as a hobby. And so I always was, you know, associated with nature and plants. And I loved that aspect of it. And then when I was in high school, I worked in my dad's engineering firm, They designed and manufactured these high-end industrial rolling doors. And to keep me and my siblings busy, my dad would bring us to work and give us a job in the summertime to stencil the company's name (laughs) that would go on these, you know, huge mechanical doors. Well, that was my first engagement looking at sort of drafters and designers and in this engineering firm. And I fell in love with blueprints, believe it or not. (laughs) You know, I mean, they smell awful, but I loved, I loved these drawings and these old, well, in those days, it wasn't old. That was the only, you know, technology they used, blueprints. You know, people drafted by hand and they had these blueprints that they used. And I love the blueprints. (laughs) And so anyway, so I knew I wasn't cut up to be an engineer. Math wasn't my strong suit. So I, you know, again, this catalog kind of brought me back to like plant materials and this sort of engineering and design aspect, which I thought would be interesting. And I've always been sort of creative. I actually wanted to be a journalist at one point in high school because I was on, you know, I was the editor of the school paper and I loved writing and, you know, this creative aspect of it as well. So anyway, so that's how I kind of stumbled upon landscape architecture. So I have an undergraduate degree in landscape architecture from Berkeley. And then I went ahead and worked for a couple of private sector firms. And I realized that if I have to do this type of work in landscape architecture, that's not my thing because Again, it was, I mean, I learned a lot and these were great mentors and I learned so much about design and putting work together, but I just felt like this wasn't my cup of tea and I needed to look beyond myself and really kind of see what I can do in landscape architecture that would keep me more grounded in terms of, I mean, you have to make a living on the one hand, but at the same time, I think that living has to make sense to me in the long run. If it's going to be, you know, something that I, I mean, at the time I wasn't even thinking about public sector, but really just kind of using landscape architecture as a field that can influence the greater good. So I didn't know what that was, but I wanted to explore that. So I went to grad school in urban planning and landscape architecture. And again, back to Berkeley. So that's how I ended up at public works for the first time when I was in grad school. A friend of mine was working here at the time and he said, hey, look, if you're going to go back to grad school, we have internships. 
And so by that time, I've already had, you know, three or four years of experience in the field. So I was able to get a job here while I was in grad school, helped me pay for, you know, grad school tuition and so forth. I was living in Berkeley, so it was convenient. So that's how I started in public works. But then after grad school, I graduated. I didn't work here for about seven, eight years. I worked in the nonprofit sector at the Chinatown Community Development Center. I also kind of stumbled upon that job in many ways because while was, I was in grad school, I did my master's thesis on alleyways, you know, alleyways as sort of these urban open space or units of streets that sort of been neglected in our society as a whole. And so I wanted to explore the potential of alleyways and looking at alleyways as assets to a community, especially a community like Chinatown. And I met really nice folks from the nonprofit community development group called Chinatown Community Development Center. At the time, it was called the Chinatown Resource Center. And they welcomed me in and I did my research in the alleyway program, which eventually led to that group getting $2.1 million from the city to improve alleyways. So I did a presentation to the Board of Supervisors right after I finished grad school and to the Finance Committee in order so that Chinatown community could get funding to improve the alleys. So anyway, once they got the funding, they said, Jasmine, why don't you work for us <laughs> and figure out how we're going to, you know, improve these alleys. So I wrote the Chinatown Alleyway Master Plan that led to the renovation of you know, about 17 alleyways, I think, out of the 31 core area alleyways that we looked at. So anyway, so that's how I kind of went into that job. <laughs> Sometimes life takes you to places that you're meant to be, right? And so I enjoyed it quite a bit because, again, I was looking, seeking to see how landscape architecture can be more impactful to the larger public and community. I think women, we are freer to speak, you know, our mind a little bit more these days, I believe, than maybe back when. But, you know, some of us, I was always very vocal and maybe some ways that was detrimental <laughs> to my growth in some ways because, you know, sort of opinionated in some ways. So, yeah, so I think, you know, it just allows some of us who are a little bit more timid to come to the table. I always had it in my head. I would say even in grade school, like my mom would say, that I wasn't afraid, that I wasn't afraid to stand up for something that's not fair or something that needs correcting. So I think it's just, it's just me. Sometimes I rub people the wrong way by speaking up for issues and processes when, you know, that wasn't so welcomed. And that probably cost me dearly in terms of just promotional opportunities or, you know, I've had managers in the past who had said, Jasmine, you're too emotional, spiteful, called me those sort of words unfairly. People who have demanded respect from me when they didn't show respect to me, nor did they act respectfully. And I haven't been afraid to speak up against some of those issues and confront folks. And so, I mean, I don't know if I would have done differently because that's just who I am to kind of, you know, point out what I believe are sort of the wrong directions or the wrong ways to go. But yeah, I would have been more tactful maybe. 
when a woman raises her voice, when a woman speaks with passion, defending a perspective or, you know, pointing out something passionately, sometimes that is a threat, unfortunately. And it's not just me. I think other women in other, you know, walks of life could feel the same way or, you know, experience similar things. Yeah. Being emotional, spiteful, to be called that, that's not right to begin with, to come from sort of higher level folks. But I've experienced that. It was one of those few low points in my life here, my career here, my time here. Yeah, I couldn't sleep after those incidents. I couldn't sleep and it affects me greatly. But yeah, again, I don't regret those things. The truth will always come out. The goodness will always, I think, win over, you know, negativity and evil. We just have to persevere, sometimes change our perspective a little. And always, I'm always grateful. I think gratefulness is underrated. Leadership is not a job title. Just because you have a classification or a title doesn't automatically make you a leader. Leadership is in all of us, you know, and it's just going to come out when it's needed. And that's how I see leadership role to be. And that's how I've operated. So, yeah, I didn't seek out to be a leader of anything. But when you are reliable and responsible and when you are accountable, people will come to you and look up to you and people will ask you your opinion and your input because they know you have that knowledge and competence. And so that's what I've seek to do not to be a leader but to do a quality you know job at every level of work that I've done to me supervising and mentoring goes hand in hand you know I don't just tell people what to do but I explain the why the how and listen to what they need those are I think good skills No matter what, I think self-reflection is very important. You have to ask yourself, why are you here? <laughs> you know, what is your purpose? And what do you want out of this? And, and, and being patient. I think patience is also another sort of skill that we undervalue. Sometimes it's time that kind of, you know, solves some, some of these problems and issues. Sometimes it's time and, you know, discussion and wing of issues. So I would say that keep at it. <laughs> Don't give up. But of course, if you feel with your introspection that you, you need to be somewhere else, that this is just not working for you and it's, you know, impacting you, your life in a huge negative way, then I would say, you know, part with it. Life is more than one role or one issue, right? That's what I usually tell my children is that don't look at the narrow lens and just change your perspective. Go, you know, be something else or do something else that's not causing you, you know, the angst. But I, I is, again, I think a person would have to decide for themselves. That's why I think self-reflection is very important.
everybody wants to know how I'm going to go from point A, B to C, but that's not life. We don't have control over that. So I would say just enjoy it. You don't need to know anything. Enjoy today for what it is. Do what you want to do. And life will take you. If you're interested in something, doing something that's worthwhile for you and for your community, that's going to carry you to your next step and the next step, whatever that may be. That's life. We don't have any control over that. And just enjoy the ride and do the best you can. Thanks for listening to Snapshots, a public works podcast. 